Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELAC A25. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. What a week, Jeff. <laughs> you happy? It, it's it's been a full week it, going it, on. You know what? It's it's been a roller coaster of emotions week, is what it's been. Yeah, and, and the week's not even over yet. I mean, it's going to end with the crescendo of the Super Bowl, but yeah, the ultimate celebration punctuating a, a week of tragedy for a lot of people, and some that definitely shook the sports world, if not more than that. And I think it was. I mean, it's beyond the sports world. I mean, Co- Kobe's reach is beyond. Um, I mean, I. Yeah, ahead. I'll let you were, deal with it. Were him. you at the Sixers game the other night when they did I was the, not. the ceremony? I no. thought the Sixers uh-huh. did a nice job. I thought the, the Sixers. I thought the Sixers handled it really well. I'm glad that that they acknowledged and and there was a tribute to the other people that were on the helicopter. Yeah, you often feel like people get overshadowed just mm-hmm. because of his name and and Kobe's daughter. Um, I actually thought UConn was one of the more moving more moving things that they did. The women uh, for his daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was pretty classy and um so tough week for a lot of people it makes people rethink things you saw a lot of emotion on tv yes um on all sides um and a lot of even even people like i like shack uh, he was his, his reaction was you know it was clearly heartfelt this it, despite the fact that all the the problems they had in the past it was very raw and you could see the mm-hmm. impact he had on the players in the nba um a lot of 24-second violations, eight-second violations, players wearing jerseys. Do you know who came up with that? I'm, re- I'm very curious to see to who came up with the idea. The first game was Sunday afternoon that right. they did so, it, and I so forget who, what game it was, but I remember seeing it, and then everybody else started doing it, and people either changed their uniform numbers away from 24 or 8, like Matisse Teibel changed his number, right. or in and the Bede case of Wart. Joel Embiid, he mm-hmm. actually contacted Bobby Jones to get permission to wear the retired number, on Monday night and, and had a good game. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like the All-Star game, they're going to do some stuff to to honor him as well. We'll get to that in a second. So, uh, yeah, tough week for a lot of people on all sides. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of the story of Kobe that, that makes it hard for some people to discuss as mm-hmm. well. So why don't we move on to the basketball side of things and, and talk a little more about the game that, that gets played at so, this point. So we're going to leave out the fact that uh, – that I at one point sued Kobe Bryant. <laughs> well, I was going to bring that up there, but if you if you want to, yeah, you were involved in that memorabilia case, yes, weren't I was. you? Uh huh. People can go read about it if they want. Jeff just can't tell you what happened. Yes, exactly. Uh, we'll, um. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that there. That's why Jeff doesn't know what to say right now, uh-huh. and we'll move. I'm past at a loss that. for words, and that happens so often. Uh, right? Up and up. <laughs> really? Those are the loudest crickets I've ever heard. Yeah, we got to turn those yeah. crickets off. You got to give Jeff warning if you're going to do that because that was loud and blew out his. Can we get some right chocolate there. covered crickets while we're in here? That's funny. That would okay, be nice. So, what happened up and down week with the Sixers? Two wins Saturday and Monday night, and um, then losing to Atlanta, and then losing to Atlanta. Is, See, is that surprising at all on the road? No, this team continues to struggle against teams they should beat, and continues to play well against Correct. teams that you wouldn't think that they would play quite well against. Exactly. It makes no sense. No. Well, it makes no sense, but it's entirely predictable, Which, right? of course, with the loss last night, brought up the conversation again. Should we trade Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons? Because that's just the perpetual conversation that people will have over it and over again. It will always be. like This is going to be, for the entire lifetime that these two players play together, this is going to be a problem until the two of them figure it out, if they can figure it out. 
And part of it is going to be, is Ben ever going to shoot the ball from outside five feet? And it's going to be whether Embiid can actually go back inside and play underneath and learn to pick and roll. I found Keith's article interesting this week. Keith Pompey had an article about how Ben Simmons was not going to be the primary ball handler as much anymore. And he'd be down on the post more. And, and you saw that develop when Embiid was out. We'll see how they... You mean the power forward? Is that what you're saying? The, you mean what we've said that he should yeah. be for uh-huh. a really long time? Right. Yeah. Potentially that could work. Uh-huh. Uh, Shake Milton got a bunch of playing time. 27 points the other night Shake for Shake. Shake rocks. You, I mean, look. You, that make you feel good. You know, we watched I mean, for, he, I mean, for us, we, we've gotten to see when we covered when we covered the, the Blue Coats, um, we got a chance to talk to Shake a couple times. We I think we did his first professional yeah, interview. Yeah, he, he so, <laughs> we were so, his first interview after, uh, after he started. But he, he's a good guy. Um, he's a hard worker, and he's got skill. Gets a little and, time off the Richardson injury to, mm-hmm. to show what he can do. Uh, I still don't know what Trey Burke's got to do to get off the bench. It was interesting. Oh, because, I know what he's got to do. Because we, he's got to get traded. We hit Neto a lot, saying yeah. we don't know what he's doing. He had a great game the other night and then a terrible I was game. Just, well, as you were night. saying, great night. It's one. Yeah. He's had one. He was brutal last he night. Had, it might be, that might have been his first really good game all season. It might be the only thing. Uh, well, game yeah. So I, I don't under I still don't get what Brett Brown's fascination with him is. Uh I in the meantime, you have a guy who just plays amazing defense in Matisse coming off the bench, right? Mm-hmm. Uh and uh he got totally hosed by the NBA. I know it's just a futures game, but somebody, anybody explain to me how he's not in the futures game. See, I'm okay with that. It's baffling. I'm to okay me. with it because I Why? Don't, because I don't care if my players play in exhibitions. I want them to play in the games that matter. I don't oh. care if he plays in the Rising Star game. Really? I care if he's there in the playoffs for the Sixers. So what? What if you were a God forbid a Wizards fan? Um, would you? you so you're telling me you wouldn't be upset that Bradley Beal's not in the All Star game? It's not about whether they get you, the you honor of not being gonna taken. End. Well, it, but it matters to them. It matters to them. And but it, matter, I am it does fine matter with to my the city. players. Not playing. If Embiid decides he doesn't want to play in the All Star game, I've got no issue. Well, yeah, with it. but you're okay with that because last year he played and hurt and exacerbated Which is an why injury. I'd like to put all the Sixers in bubble wrap okay. and not let them go to exhibitions. But, but okay, so I'll give you a different example. Pretend you're a Chicago Bulls fan. Why do you you're, make me pretend? You're, you're hosting because you're not going to answer the question anyway. No. But there's a better chance if I pose it as a hypothetical. Pretend you're a Chicago Bulls fan. You're hosting the All-Star game. Wouldn't it be nice for one of your players to be in the All-Star game? Sure it would. So how is Zach Levine not in the All-Star game? I don't know. You you didn't vote for him. People were too busy voting for Taco Fall. <laughs> what do you want so, from so you're, me? So you're now going to blame the votes that went to Taco Fall should have went to Zach Levine? Look, I don't get. I don't really get all worked up about people getting All-Star game appearances or Pro Yeah, Bowl but if you're going to have it, it's you're going to have it in a city. You, which I know shocks you because I get worked up over everything. That is just not yeah, something that does it for me. Yeah, you get worked up over preseason bocce ball games. I, I do, and I'm yeah. just not terribly concerned about whether or not, not that there's anything he's going to play with that. in the Rising Stars game. I, it just, well, I just think I it, want him to have the honor, but it's like, eh, okay. okay, so you want him to have the honor. Yeah. Yeah, well, he should get it. But them. I don't he, care if he's he earned play. it. But he's earned it. But that's the thing is that he's earned it. The, what do you think of the All-Star game format changes? I love it. So it's, and, the, the NBA All-Star game is the second worst All-Star game in my mind to the NFL. They're treating it like the exhibition it should be, though. Right. And that, that's because what has happened in the last few years is it literally is just layup lines and shooting. I mean, the, there is absolutely no defense, and it makes it a farce. 
At so, least this way, they've added a competitive element, and they've made it the one they they're without mimicking it completely. They've taken a cue from the NHL All Star game, yes, which which to you, me mi- is which you the missed best. last week. I know because I had the wrong day instead of Saturday. But it is the best all. It is the best. All-Star game of the four major sports so, because it's exciting and it's fast. Every it's, it's, quarter it's is going to be a mini game for charity. Right. So you win the quarter, the charity gets it, and then for the fourth quarter, you total up to a Kobe Bryant number or something. Well, here's the problem with the last quarter. It's not timed. Yeah, it's based on really points. Time. And, and I assume that they're going to work out a point system that's not too high because otherwise then you're going to have the union really complaining. Yeah, that they're playing too yeah, long. Like that's the one thing I mean, that I'm I think they're risking. I'm interested to see how it works out. And there's charities involved in this. There are, so yeah. it will definitely help good causes. I am also more interested. I like the three point contest and the dunk contest. I always have. I liked it more before they were jumping over cars and they were just being <laughs> creative. Like that kind of, you know, the props of wearing a cape. I, I care well, about the, the dunk, not the. Well, the the other problem with it is is that when when they do things with props you know it's contrived i mean kia sponsored i think sponsored the Blake all-star Griffin. game when when he decided you say to that, do that and i know exactly what happened and when it was right and like so it worked so it's effective right it exactly. was really good marketing dollars for them uh-huh. but it's just not my thing it's better than paying a million dollars for a super bowl ad right well yeah we're gonna see a lot of those we'll talk super bowl in a little bit why don't we get to a little baseball talk first because uh we got doug glanville and we're ready to talk to him you ready to talk a little sign stealing sounds good let's go to it So we're here with Doug Glanville. Doug uh, is not only a former Philly Cub Ranger. I think I covered all the teams, didn't I, Doug? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Well, unless you count Yankees spring training in 04. Well, that may count. But but Doug Doug is also the author of The Game From Where I Stand. He's a lecturer at the University of Connecticut. He's a baseball analyst, and he is a writer for The Athletic and The New York Times. Doug, when do you have time to actually do anything else? Well, I know not, not much when you slap on the, the four kids uh, that are 11 and under. Uh, yeah, I just kind of teleport and sleep uh, sort of like in two-hour increments if I need to. But <laughs> no, it works out well. I, my wife is amazing. We all kind of coordinate. I mean, most of the times when I go to bed, my wife and I talk like we're almost like invading a small country or something. We're like, <laughs> who's picking up who? Who's getting who? Hit? And uh, But I love it. I, you know, as you know, baseball is always been a passion of mine so i i try to you know discuss it celebrate in many different ways well well, doug we are we are huge baseball fans we do a baseball show in the spring and and we read your article um and i just have to tell you to start with the beginning of that article is the first paragraph of that article was exactly the way that i think many baseball true baseball fans actually feel you hearken when you hear something that's bad in baseball you hearken back to the days when you were playing wiffle ball, when you pretended to be your favorite baseball player. Um, what was it like for you the first time that you heard about what was going on with the Astros? Yeah, I mean, well, the first reaction was, okay, you know, what's the depth of this? Because sign stealing is part of the game. You know, I, I, I recognize that from all the years of playing and understanding that there was a craftsmanship to uh, picking up signs. I mean, that's why you have signs. You're disguising something, and you recognize people will try to steal them. I played with Bobby Abreu, who was, by the way, incredible at figuring out what pitchers were doing by slight tips they would show to know what pitch was coming or when to try to steal second because you're going to get an off-speed pitch. So at first I was like, hmm, okay. 
but the technology and that combination is what you know when the kind of horror washed over me because you know recognizing that not only the rules in place but the possibility of using you know live game feeds and what was meant for instant replay and then the more i kind of unearthed it the more i realized the depths of it uh, i wasn't shocked from the standpoint of the attempts to do this uh, as as teams or you know people in general may be pushing the envelope uh, but I just think the scope, the span, and and the fact that you know, so many teams uh, were affected, uh, not only obviously Mike Fires to the point where he decided to call it out, but uh, you know brings a as I mentioned in the article existential crisis uh, right in front of us about baseball's hit future really. So the first question I have is you just you just mentioned um, you know Bobby Abreu and how good at he was he was at being able to detect certain things where. Where do you decide this is this is a gray area? It's not black and white. It's it's where do you decide that it's too much? Well, there's no question. So here's an example. I go to Texas in 2003, spring training, and you know we were talking about it as a team, and this was really the first team that tried to somewhat organize around communicating signs. But it wasn't stealing game feeds. It was I picked it up because you're Bobby Abreu and you have a skill to figure out what people are doing. And then how do you relay it? And there was, you know, runners on second base and things like that. So it was all in game and I still wasn't comfortable and, and no, it ended up really not happening. I know I, I never used it. Cause first of all, if I'm on second base and I'm trying to steal a sign or something then I'm not trying to steal third, which is one of the things I tried to figure out when I could do. So it, it depended on the player, but I, it just never got implemented. So, you know, so as you mentioned with Bobby Abreu, when you have an instinct and a craft and an instinct to be able to uh, detect what your other team is doing, just like in football, like you're reading the defense or what are they doing, and you, you know, there's a zone or man-to-man, whatever, okay, you figure it out. That's, that's legitimate. It, it's, once again, the technology is what started to shift this to the degree we're talking about with what the Astros are doing. And, uh, and there's no question that players exchange information, but because we get to this era, which is very different than when I played, uh, now you have to discuss the, the power of technology and, quite frankly, in this case, the abuse of it. You, you ask uh, the question in the column, what are you willing to do to be relevant? And that, that kind of stuck with me. And I, and I wonder, the flip side of it, the, the players that got cheated because of the cheating, the pitchers who never made it back to the big leagues because they were rocked in an inning, because the Astros basically knew what co- what was coming. Can you talk a little bit about that existential crisis and the integrity that's at stake here for the game? Well, there's no question. I mean, well, for starters, this this scheme was not going to last. And I say that confidently because Mike Fires was inevitable. Uh, you think about one of the issues for the Astros in this case is you're dividing pitchers and hitters. And although as a pitcher on the Astros, you were a beneficiary indirectly, right? Your, your team's going to be better and you might win. But you don't know that. <laughs> you don't know that. And even if you did, what are they giving up to try to win? Well, they're sacrificing the legitimacy of your position, you as a pitcher. And so, yes, you wear a Houston Astros uniform or the uniform of your team, but you're also part of a profession. That, and inside that profession, you have specialties. Pitching is one of it. And this whole scheme was tilted to benefit hitters, period. Pitchers didn't benefit. So, so yes, maybe you're Verlander and you're Cole and you, you just whatever, next level. But most players and most pitchers 
they're replaceable, they're tradable, they're this, they're that. And, and they may be in the other dugout next year trying to beat the Astros. And they would have known, as Fires did, how this system worked and how it undercut what pitchers are doing. It destroyed the fairness between pitcher and hitter. Destroyed it. And, and there's no way pitchers are going to stay silent forever on that. And the existential crisis, when we talk about the sort of the larger scale, take PEDs, right? PEDs part, you know, would just plague the game. And now to this day, we question everything when it comes to power, home runs, and legitimacy still to this day. And whether players are now reinventing and finding other ways, that's another question. But it has this longstanding implication that the game can't get away from. And, and so when you start to have pathways to cut corners, to PDs, sign stealing, gambling, whatever, you find ways to cut corners. Then what you're starting to say is your humanity isn't enough, your skill set isn't enough, your work ethic isn't enough. You have to find – you basically can buy it. You can steal it with a hacker. You can get the better pharmacist and the better scientist and the better spy. And all of a sudden you get farther and farther away from the humanity of the game of just sort of – having fair play and competition on the field and that's the existential crisis because you have to have pathways to be able to celebrate and reach the pinnacle of your sport through fair play if you don't then you you might as well have robots you might as well just play a video game it it doesn't matter because then all i have to do is be mediocrely skilled and have a mediocre work ethic but i have a heck of a pharmacist a heck of a scientist have a better hacker, and all of a sudden I, I'm, I'm in the, you know, the World Series. So that's the crisis, and that's why baseball has to really pay deep attention to this. It's interesting you say PEDs because Alex Wood actually said, I'd rather face a player taking steroids than someone stealing signs. Can you talk about the advantage you have as a batter when you're up there and you know what's coming next? Well, I mean, you know, it, it takes you back to when, you know, I hit 500 or 502 or something when I was in high school one year. And it's like, yeah, it's like that. You become the high school kid that's like, yeah, this is great. I'm just going to, you know, hit every pitch. Uh, look, it's it's a huge advantage. I mean, I look, there's hitters that are going to have a better way to capitalize on than others. Like, I wasn't a super disciplined hitter. I, I was a bad ball hitter, and I could swing at whatever. But the challenge is, when you have the ability, you're at Altuve, you're Bregman, you can zone up, then, oh, that's a huge advantage. If you have certainly a plate coverage and plate discipline that can kind of hit anything, then, yeah, you can, you can take it to the next level. So it's a huge advantage. You lay off the curveball. You know what's coming. I'm on, I'm on first. You're throwing a curveball. I'm stealing second. Thanks. Like, all that is a huge advantage. But, and I say huge not because the actual sort of quantifiable margin. It's that everybody in the big leagues – is exceptional, everybody. And so when you give someone a 2% advantage, sounds like a small number, it is absolutely earth-shattering at that level. And there are numbers that that sort of show that. If you look at the 2017 playoff splits, Altuve at home, 472 on the road, 143. McCann, 300 at home, 037 on the road. Not only that, if you look between, I saw the article in Athletic from Jason Stark that you shared. Between 2016 and 2017, the Astros cut down their strikeouts by 365 at the same time that 29 teams in that year struck out nearly 1,500 more times. So the data shows that they were doing something markedly different at that time than any other team and realizing quantifiable success from that. 
it flat out worked, right? I mean, and that's and that's where we are. Yes, if the Royals did it and lost 100 games, it wouldn't be as noticeable. But they took the, the title, they took the trophy, and they they basically stole it through, you know, sign stealing means. I mean, that was that's the ultimate end game of it. And and so with Wood, the one thing I push back on Wood is though I agree with him in, in a in a pitching, but think about it as a hitter or think about it as a a player trying to advance his career. I this is where PEDs to me has more of an individualized impact. All right, I'm a center fielder. This this is my career, right? In my center fielder, I come in, I hit 14 home runs here, whatever, and then all of a sudden the standard for center fielders becomes hitting 30 home runs. You have to hit 30 home runs to be a starting center fielder. That's it. My career is now off the bench, fourth outfielder. That's how quickly the game changed. And PEDs, for example, is that. So it, it's a very so from an individual standpoint, you have a career advancement issue in PEDs because the guy who's using it and the position players that are, that are at, at your same position are now cutting your chance to, to advance and make it. You know, that's, that's why from a career standpoint, that made it worse on a one-on-one. However, from the championship standpoint, and like you said, as a pitcher, and that, then it's a different side of the coin because you see now a whole organization or a whole team was able to benefit and elevate. It didn't necessarily matter. Like you, you were a better hitter and you, you're going to run and be happy to go to arbitration in Houston. But if I'm playing against the Astros, you know, from a hitter standpoint, you know, okay, I don't, I don't really, you know, I don't know that. Right. I, I mean, it doesn't necessarily hurt me, but if I'm playing in a league competing as guys on PEDs and, and all of a sudden 15 center fielders hit 40 home runs that year, guess what? My career is, is done. Uh, so there, so you have a selfish component and have a team component, and together you have a total disaster. Yeah, but here's part of the problem that I have with regard to the crisis and, and with and with regard to what Fires did. I don't have a problem with Fires talking about it. I have a problem with the fact that Fires didn't stand up and do something at the time. Th- this is a situation where you have to look internally and say to yourself, am I willing to sacrifice what I believe in for something, uh, some immediate reward? The pitchers apparently knew what was going on at the time, and while they're while they're now expressing frustration over it, they were willing to silence themselves long enough that they could get themselves World Series rings. Yeah, and you know that's an absolute fair question, fair point to raise, a hundred percent. I think the I can explain it on a cultural level, and, and and explain it when I say that not to justify it, but to say that it doesn't surprise me the silence. It, it doesn't. Uh, you know, you almost have to make uh, baseball in these locker rooms almost akin to law enforcement and sort of the blue line. You know, the, these players, you know, Wayne Gomes said to me, and I put in one of the articles, he said, I wouldn't tell anybody outside this locker room what kind of orange juice my teammate drinks. All right, so they don't talk about that outside. So the, when, and that's why you see such tone deafness when it comes to social issues uh, a lot of times out of locker rooms because of the, the fact that they're so guarded to protect no matter what the information is, no matter what the greater good is, protect and you know, sort of stay in this insular environment around their team. And, and so, you know, you, you saw that, you know, you heard the interview with Bregman and, and, you know, just can't quite say it, can't quite, can't quite get at it because they think they're selling something out. So, so fires, when you're inside that locker room, it, it's, it's like it becomes this weight that is irrational and certainly can be self-serving as you pointed out. But, but I definitely know what that is. I, I know what that is. 
And it's part of the problem of why those things will go on longer until Fires is on another team and then tries to beat this team. And then it sort of comes like, hey, now I'm an Oakland A and I got I to gotta beat these guys. So, so there's no question. But I also understand culturally why that plays into the problem in the first place. So the, the, the next question then is, okay, so now we know it happened. We've seen the punishment come down on the general manager. We've seen three coaches now uh, dislodged from their jobs. Why is there no punishment for the players that were involved in this? Is it just because the union is strong? Or, they or, gave, or did they give immunity before they questioned them? I think immunity was part of it, yes. Um, so yeah, would you get all that information uh, without promising something, right? And the other side of it is, you know, it's, it's curious that, you know, Carlos Beltran was the only player flat out named in that, in that uh, investigation report, investigative report. So, you know, and maybe it's because he was a manager or to be manager and all that, but, but yes, the players, you know, to get that information, the players would be forthright and, you know, that's, probably was the trade-off now there there are union implications of absolutely uh, because okay now you okay you did something in 2017 for the astros let's say you're mike fires right and then you go to the a's and you're two years later and and you're like say you're the number one pitcher so you're going to punish the a's for signing a guy two years later for something like how do you do that exactly with like that's the problem i'm not saying that you can still just say look everybody involved on this team over the last two years, three years, they were all suspended. But the trick is the teams that unknowingly, let's say, sign a guy or sign him to a contract. So the Astros, and he's in, let's say five of those guys go to the Oakland A's. So you're going to, and they're in their division and they're star players. So you're going to now strip the A's of all their players after what they did to benefit the Astros to give them the World Series. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's, it's difficult. I'm not saying it's not morally the right thing. <laughs> it's just very difficult to track this down in a way that's going to be fair. Do you, do you punish the pitcher who wasn't quite part of it? Do you give this guy 30 games or this guy five? Or I, I don't know. And look, in the minor leagues, we, I had a team, the, the, the Daytona Cubs. We got in the fights like every day. Literally balls charged around. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was crazy. So the Why? Next year, I don't know. I have no idea. We had an angry bunch of guys. So uh, we had one guy charge the mound before the pitcher released the ball and it hit him halfway <laughs> to the mound. I mean, that's how bad it got. So, um, and I, I admittedly, in the next year, I did charge the mound. That's so I do have that on my record. So, so we, Is there video? Fight, there, there's not video. There's video of the second fight and the third fight we had both in Orlando. So I do have that video. Uh, so if you want to see that one day, let me know. Okay. Uh, so, and Michael Jordan played in that league. So that was kind of a fun time. So, uh, yes. So we, you know, we fought all the time, but you know what the result was? The league said, look, this is ridiculous. The way they avoided this whole issue of, well, you could forfeit these games. They just rotated the suspensions. So, you know, someone with like two guys would sit out for two, three games and then the next two. So you were shorthanded, but you weren't completely unable to play. So that's how they did it. And, you know, that's in a vacuum with, you know, you don't have a players association, you don't have the money at stake and all these things. But there was a sort of elegant solution if you want to, you know, allow, you know, create consequences for all the players that were involved. So, you know, the league is not clearly doing what is possible within the confines of collective bargaining and, and all the complexities. And look, the union is always in a challenging position because 
yes, PEDs or different things are bad, but you also are trying to maintain uh, the uplifting and upholding of the rules of governance between what has been agreed upon between owners and players and also you know, whatever rights you have as a player and some, in some cases as a citizen of this country yeah. or, or citizen of sort of uh, from whatever country you are within the citizenship of the United States. So, you know, these are challenges and they, it makes it really difficult to come up with a, yeah, let me just do this, boom, and here's, here's the right thing to do because there are so many layers to it. Well, and you, show, you sort of alluded to it in the, in the column. It seems like Major League Baseball is going to get another bite at the apple here because the Red Sox are being investigated and it, it doesn't seem like you'd be surprised if we learn about other teams doing things, so where do you think this all goes next? I, well, he has the power to, to keep going, and, and I'm sure there's a concern, like be careful what you might find kind of thing. It's, uh, it starts to get when you, you know, this is, gets to an epidemic level, then the whole game comes down to focus. It's always you know, desirable for, and hopeful for the league and the game to be like, well, you know, hey, there's just a couple of bad apples and bad actors that just took it too far. But for the most part, you know, everybody was following the rule. That's the, you know, ideal place to go from here. But you don't know. And, and you know, it's just like PEDs. You could keep looking, keep looking. And then you're like, well, wait a minute now. And if you find out that, you know, 80% of the league, you know, you have a major problem on your hands. So uh, it's it's probably scary for for the league in terms of how they dig and how they keep going. But they, are, they seem to be following the evidence, and I'm just not sure how far they're going to follow it. Well, we will keep following your coverage as uh, the news comes out and see how you react. We always appreciate the time you give us, and uh, hope you have a great day. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much, Doug. Have a good one. Sports lets people live their dreams, overcome obstacles, and achieve goals. But what's your unimaginable? Do you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself? To push your limits? The A-Fatty clothing brand believes we're all capable of going far beyond we previously imagined to overcome your obstacles and achieve your goals. Life gives you the chance to push harder, to dream bigger, and to do whatever it takes to conquer the unimaginable. And to do it with A-Fatty on you, the original street leisure clothing brand. Taking you into the weekend with the latest news in the world of sports. With the biggest names on and off the field. It's the Heart of Sports each and every Friday at 4 p.m. on 610 ESPN with former players, reporters, and commentators like Adam Schefter, John Runyon, Keith Jones, Trey Thomas, and Doug Glanville. Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen cover the agony and ecstasy of fandom while weaving in conversations about the impact of sports on society. That's the Heart of Sports, Fridays at 4 p.m. This is Dan Baker, public address voice of the Philadelphia Phillies, and you're listening to the Heart of Sports, with Jeff Cohen and Jason Springer. Welcome back to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. Jeff, it always makes me feel like baseball is closer when I hear Dan Baker coming back from a break. I know. It, it makes me feel like we're doing something good and uh, we're getting closer. We're 11 days. He makes our names sound cool, doesn't he? He, he does. Yeah. 11 days till pitchers and catchers report. Are you excited? Yes. Are you feeling warm? So excited. I know you can't wait uh-huh. for it. We are going to go and, and talk a little baseball now, but a little bit of a different angle. We talked the pro level with Doug Glanville earlier. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to bring on the mayor of Chattanooga, Tennessee, Andy Burke. Uh, there's a lot going on with minor league baseball, right, Jeff? Uh, you know, it, it's kind of a sad situation in that the major league baseball is the story that came out from the New York Times was that, the, that um, they're thinking about contracting minor league baseball. 
And whether you agree with the reasons or not, people don't understand the, the depth to which these teams are involved in the communities and how intertwined they are. So, Mayor, are, are you there? I'm here. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. You got Jeff and Jason here. Um, we're pretty interested, having done a minor league show for the past few years, traveling around to interview players at all levels of the Phillies minor league system. Uh, Major League Baseball has a proposal out there to basically remove about 40 of the teams beginning in the 2021 season, and uh, your team is, is one of the ones on the block, and, and you're not going quietly. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on and what, what you're going to do? Yeah, so I learned a few. Uh, at, by the way, I'm getting a little feedback, so it's a little little tough. Oh, okay. Um, so I learned a, a, a few uh, months ago that uh, minor league baseball um, was being contracted by up to 40 teams, so there were 160. Uh, I didn't think that Chattanooga would be on the list because Ford's just said that um, we were going to have the number one city for job growth in 2020, one of the top five real estate markets in the country. So you just don't think, oh, well, this is this is going to happen to us. Um, and so when I read in the New York Times that we were on the list, I, I wanted to to do something about it. And I started talking to a lot of different owners, uh, mayors from across the country, and uh, we formed a task force to fight this. I mean. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Baseball wants to grow the sport and the fan base. Um, last year, it was the 15th straight year that there was more than 40 million people went to a minor league game. And, you know, in my opinion, this is just a major league error. And, and for, for people that don't know, it, the cities have actually have a financial investment in a lot of these teams. A lot of the cities actually own or put money into this the stadiums themselves. Is, how how can Major League Baseball just do this when minor league when minor league baseball is intertwined in the cities like this? Yeah, so that's a great point, and it's something that I've told the Major League Baseball office myself as well as other mayors. But um, yeah, so many cities have been asked over the course of the last several years to participate in building a minor league stadium, and now they're being told that. Um, that their teams are going away. Of course, that's unfair. But it's also not in the Major League Baseball's interest to do that. And I'll give my city as the example. So Major League Baseball absolutely wants to be in, in a place like Chattanooga. The real reason that they want to um, – that, that we were initially on the list is because of our stadium issues, and they want us to build a new stadium. Well, you know, as I told Major League Baseball and I've said several times, why would we build a new stadium if there's a chance that our team could get cut in the future? When you build those stadiums, you need 25 or 30 years of investment. And so what they're really doing is offering a disincentive to cities like me, where I think, like mine, where I think people want to be, um, to, to, to invest in the facilities um, either to, to build new stadiums or to renovate ones that are existing. Can you talk about the impact, separate from financial, just the community impact that these teams have from a social aspect, from an entertainment aspect, and, and how ingrained they are in what you do there? So I was out the other day, and this, uh, this man told me, he stopped me and thanked me for what I was doing. He said, I got two boys, and uh, my wife and I love to go out during the summer 
and it's just a cheap way for us. It's affordable to go out and take our boys, go down to the park, you know, eat something, watch the game. He's like, one of my boys is totally into the baseball game. The other one likes the fireworks and all the stuff that's going on. We love to give people options in our city so that they can choose what they want to do. And minor league baseball games are affordable. They're fun. They're entertaining. And um, and the Chattanooga Lookouts, which is our team, has been around since 1885. 1885. It amazes me that that type of history could just be wiped away <laughs> like this. Was... It's certainly amazing to me too, and I, I, you know, we're certainly going to work to make sure that it doesn't happen to us. But we know that we're just one, one city. Um, you know, there's 160 different minor league teams out there, and again, cities have made huge investments. Uh, it's important to note that you know somebody out there might say, well, you know. What what is what does this have to do with anything? Um, you know, on the governmental side, minor, minor league baseball and major league baseball have exemptions from wage, all kinds of wage laws. They've got exemptions from antitrust. They've had um, government investment in the stadiums. We have a stake in 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 what's going on, and that's why we're speaking up about it. What's the response been? Because it seems like it's kind of contentious between major and minor league baseball, letters going back and forth, some strong words. What are you hearing about what you guys are saying and, and what's going on? Well, there is a little bit of a of a strange negotiation if you think about it, because there's obviously the owner of Chattanooga's team who owns three teams, maybe three or four teams. And so you know, we're talking to to that owner, and then we're talking to, to Major League Baseball, and and everybody's interest is a little different. And so right now, you see a bunch of shots um, being fired between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. From my standpoint, of course, Minor League Baseball and Major League Baseball have all kinds of things that they're trying to work out in an agreement, and that's between the two of them. And you know, I hope that they work it out because, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a Braves fan and a White Sox fan. I'm sorry we'll, to, we'll, we'll to all the Phillies you. fans we'll out for, there who we'll are listening you. to this. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I, and I, love, of course, love the lookouts. I'm a, I've been a big baseball fan for my whole life. I just, want to, I just want to watch baseball and enjoy the game and talk about the sport, not the finances. But in the long run, my interest is seeing the team stay and to be part of the community. And then they've got to work out their other issues between them. And so part of the reason that I've tried to get involved, and I think we've had more than 80 mayors sign up for this task force, even though, by the way, as I said, they're only cutting 40 teams, but every city is worried about this because, you know, what happens if Chattanooga comes out and then another team goes, you know, another city comes in, everybody's at risk, or maybe this is just the first round. So part of what we want to do is to, to solve these issues, but before we just weren't at the table. We weren't part of the discussion, and we, and because of our investment and all the things that these uh, clubs mean to our communities, you know, we don't need to be in the dugout. We need to be in the game. One of the things you mentioned, you're a Braves fan. Uh, last summer, we went down to Gwinnett and, and yep. saw the Gwinnett Braves, and we also were in Greenville and, and saw the Greenville Drive-In. And one of the things that I don't think people understand that aren't in these towns or cities is the intertwining of project development of development of waterfront areas, development of, of, of whole communities. I mean, Gwinnett looks like the area that they just put their new stadium in is gorgeous. Greenville has built up that whole street. 
Uh, I assume Chattanooga wants to do the same thing. Is there is there any acknowledgement from Major League Baseball in what you've seen um, of the importance of the community development projects? I I don't know that I can say that there is. I don't want to. I mean, I, my point is, and I, and I, I'll just say I'm not trying to slam Major League Baseball because. You know, in the long run, I want them to agree to keep to keep these teams. And I'm just a fan. You know, what I'm trying to tell them is, this is a this is in their interest as well as ours. You know, it's in their interest for for our growing community to to be um, positive about the about baseball. But you are absolutely right. So, you know, I I did tell baseball, Major League Baseball, when you know, because I've had a couple of chances to speak with them. Um, and one of the things I said is we've been looking at exactly the kind of thing that you're talking about, which is how do you make an entertainment and housing and, and potentially office space environment that is a real bonus for the city and, and brings lots of people there and helps baseball but also um, builds the tax base and everything else. Um, and when we see that we're on a list that says we might lose our team, all of a sudden, you know, that becomes a much different kind of investment uh, risk. And so I just, I've been trying to um, convey the message to MLB for the last couple of weeks. I think this is counterproductive for you on if you really care about making sure that your players have top-notch facilities, and it's counterproductive if you're trying to, to grow your fan base. One of the other things that, that we see as, as, as a, a, a station that covers minor league baseball, broadcast minor league baseball, is, is the involvement of these teams in charitable organizations within the community. Um, I assume you see that, too, in Chattanooga. The, it... Can you describe to us the involvement of of teams and charities within the community? Well, these these teams and these players are involved throughout our city, and I think most every community that they're in, they're out there. They're they're shagging balls. They're they're um, teaching people how to bat. They they know kids, and. Um, you know, I remember a couple of years ago when we were still affiliated with the the Dodgers that Yasiel Puig was here, and you know, um, a lot of kids got a chance to meet and interact with him through various you know activities, and then all of a sudden, you know, if y'all remember, right when he got to the Dodgers, he just broke out immediately, and there was so much interest in the community, both because of what he contributed to it and then that just that connection. Well, Mayor, we really appreciate you joining us for this discussion. We're, we're certainly on your side with this. We see the, the impact of the community on the teams and vice versa, and uh, we will make sure to get down there ourselves and uh, see a Chattanooga Lookout, Lookouts game very soon. And keep us updated so that we can keep the fans updated on the, the progress, hopefully, that you have in, in maintaining some of the history that you have there. Thanks so much for having me on, and you and me and uh, Louis the Lookout will have a picture soon. Now that All would right. be fun. We will take you up on that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mayor. You have a great day. You too.
All right, Jeff, we got, we got pictures. <laughs> I, I want a picture. You know. That you know I, you're. That's so right. So he bought your, your love. Well, high, he said ho- you, high hopes is making and you are going. So look, I've so, worked in politics for yeah. a long time in my life. That's uh-huh. a good politician. He just bought your support right there by getting With Louis the Lookout. With the mascot. Oh, I, ca- I can't You wait. have such a low uh, bar of entry well, right I'm t- there. I, well, look, <laughs> you, look, you know that, that my son has grown up with me taking him to minor league baseball. Have you been so to the, the Lookout? No, we have not. So that's one you need but to add to your list. The three of us are going to head down there and maybe you maybe your son will even come he's and a little young for it, that no so. he's not i'm telling you he will have a good time at a minor yeah i gotta game. get him to chattanooga get him back. <laughs> come on you, you can't be scared <laughs> and of i got baby number two coming By the i'm way, not traveling I anywhere right now i did now. not know that louis that louis was the lookout's name but now my you, son see, probably knows <laughs> i know that every week we go on the air i can teach you something new. i i want a louis the lookout hat now all right, Dan, can you can you make a note of that? Uh, Jeff would like <laughs> I, a I will be on the MILB store. No, uh, we're going to Chattanooga. It's a serious it's a, it's a serious issue though because you you made the point and the mayor was hesitant to go there and I yeah. understand it because he's trying to work with baseball and he doesn't want to antagonize well, them. And, but and the I, fact is that your point was exactly right. What discourages wow. people from hey, Dan, can you make sure to cue that up? What discourages people from investing <laughs> more than saying that the right. base of that investment can yeah. be pulled out with no notice? Can you imagine being the mayor of Even, that town and finding out from the newspaper, not getting any heads up well, that, at all? And, and just just so you know, this this actually it goes close to our hearts, not just because we cover minor league baseball and, and want all minor league baseball to succeed. The Williamsport Crosscutters are one of the teams that was on that New York Times list, which is the Phillies' short season A team. Um, to me, it doesn't make sense on so many levels, but Major League Baseball is being very heavy-handed about this. It, it, at least it appears from the article. You saw the letters back and forth from baseball this Well, that's week. it, and they, they don't want any more letters from Minor League Baseball is what it appears. But, but it's it, you know, we were working on this. I mean, I was I was— involved in the initial phone call and the formation of, of the mayor's task force and just as just you know covering it um and and the stories that these towns would tell and the mayors would tell about how even even things like net, netting is not cheap believe it or not and all of these teams are now putting up netting and a lot of these are municipally owned stadiums and so the money is coming from taxpayers, taxpayers. And they have right now, without these mayors— Because the lawsuit would be against taxpayers, too, if it wasn't done there. Right. So so you you have these mayors, and, and, and Mayor Burke is one of the leaders of this, getting involved to make sure that they have a seat at the table. But as somebody who's been trying to cover this, I can tell you that minor league baseball teams are scared— but they don't want to say anything. No, I mean, what's because nobody if, wants if to be on a, the. If you don't have a seat at the table, you end up on the menu. Yeah, you know, it's it's they gotta find a way to try and preserve what they're doing. Uh, I, I and, and, it's, and but it's, it's a tough, so short sighted. It, it is, it is. And he mentioned something I didn't think about: the exemptions that they get for wages in mm-hmm. terms of what these players make. They get a lot of things from the government, right? In order to operate mm-hmm. with the financial structure they have, so uh, there's got to be some type of push and, and pull. The, the, with their that. investment in in minor league baseball is is minimal. I mean, really, the minor league teams do they they have their own companies, they're owned by individuals and other companies. The major league's investment is really just in the players, and and if you're not a first or second round pick. We've seen these guys aren't exactly living high on the hog. No, they're, they're even even with the iron picks. If you want to make a, no, they're well, <laughs> look at you making the joke. No, we'll keep going. Why don't we? Uh, 
you want to talk a little Rutgers, Michigan for a second? Get or it out of your system. Bowl? Well, get it out of your system. All right. Let, let's talk Rutgers sad. for a second. Rutgers yeah. is still ranked. Yeah. Rutgers has a fight song? We do, and it's being played on the radio <laughs> show. That's right. Who knew Rutgers, Rutgers had is a fight still song? ranked? They're ranked 25th. Yeah. They won earlier this week, and they play Michigan tomorrow. On the road, yes. although you claim it's not on uh, the road because there's I, a Madison Square uh, Garden. You can gloat now because Michigan is going to lose. You've been making a lot I'm of excuses already for gonna why make they're the going to lose so far. Is that Isaiah Livers, who is their best player, is not playing. And it looks like Xavier Simpson, who is their point guard, who's the leading assist uh, point guard in the country, I believe, is was suspended for the last game and may not be playing in this game. And Michigan has zero depth. I'm not sad. So. No, I, you're not. I'm not. I'm not. You have at no all. sympathy. In no, fact, I don't. you will take great glee. In t- Do you know how long I've waited for a good team at Rutgers? Any good team? Yeah, your whole life. Pretty much. Yeah, because 41 years since they've been ranked. Right. So, and I'm going to be 41 at the end of the month in February. And so. how are you not going to be at Madison Square Garden tomorrow? I uh, mean, how how often does Rutgers get to play at Madison Square Garden? Because my wife is pretty pregnant and i've got my three-year-old yeah. birthday party this weekend and uh, I, well. I cannot go to madison square garden uh you know, so you that know won't what happen your your son will have a birthday party next year rutgers may not be ranked <laughs> for another 41 look at you shaming me into not parenting so that when, i can go to a when you're 82 <laughs> and rutgers hasn't <laughs> you, gotten back you there. better make sure that you go all right let's talk about a game that everybody's gonna be watching it's my favorite time of year when, game? when when nobody says what's actually yes. gonna happen uh-huh. on sunday because the nfl owns it as a trademark uh-huh. and copyright attorney you must love the fact that they own the name so much yes. that everything on the radio doesn't even say the word Super Bowl, Super in it. Yes. It, like, not Super Bowl. It doesn't uh-huh. even say Super. It, no, the it's big the big game. game. Yeah. The, the all, great game. Although, by the way, I don't know. Look, I'm not big on touting commercials, but the, there is the commercial. I think it's, I don't know if it's Doritos. It's one of the chip commercials where they're actually, it's Terry Bradshaw and a couple other people, and I guess they have the right to use it, so they keep saying they it keep over and over, they can. just out of glee. I, I think there's an over-under prop bet on uh, a three on ads with dogs in them yeah so you can go out and can it just be does the dog have to be like the feature of it or can it just be in the background it could just be in the picture and it counts Uh, i think anywhere and it counts Ah, it's a good thing i I quit betting because there'd be Mm -hmm. too much for me to to go on and do that to me the one i was most looking forward to besides the groundhog day apparently bill murray's doing a groundhog day one oh that'll be fun is they were going to kill off mr peanut i thought he already died well, no, that with you've just seen the pre, you've seen the the. Oh, so they're actually going to kill him off. They were going to kill off Mr. Peanut. Are they not but going they, to anymore? Now they're concerned about it, so I don't know <laughs> if they're actually going to run it or not. So backlash will let Mr. Peanut. Yes. Live. Are we going to talk a little bit of the game? Yeah, let's actually talk the game on? now. Are you excited to see this game? I mean, it should be a good matchup. I, you know, it's it's a weird week in Philadelphia because Andy Reid is very polarizing for people. Time's yours. Love him and want to have appreciation weeks yep. for him, or feel very strongly on the other side. Wha- of it. So why do people in Philadelphia feel very strongly anti Andy Reid? Because he didn't get them a title, and that's he got all him to the Super Bowl. It, it he drafted but, pretty but well. He didn't win. Okay, and that's but why. that's okay. He didn't win. D- can I ask you another question? Because because you that's we do a show. That, you can ask all kinds of questions. That's your We're whole, your whole theory th- of what I just asked you is because he didn't win the big game. Yeah. Mm, how beloved is Dick Mer- Dick Vermeil? 
He's a personality. Uh, I can't though. wait to get he stayed here. He stayed here and became a brand. Oh come and on! And he left and he, he that stayed. Is the lamest he did excuse. advertising. No, he didn't. He left and he coached another team and won and, the Super Bowl. But he was doing healthcare advertising. Oh, so if Andy Reid did more healthcare advertising, that would make the difference. Look, I'm not an Andy Reid hater. I hate to by tell you, way. Andy Reid can't so do not, a healthcare commercial. Right no, now, so. he can't. <laughs> but I'm not gonna like hate on him but i i think that there's a segment of the population that all they cared about was he got us so close and it didn't happen yeah but that's and thing, some people feel but like i just totally blew it out of the water but with Dick some people feel that he, look i don't think anybody actually expected <laughs> the eagles to win in 80 they surprised people by getting there people expected the eagles to win in 2004 with terrell owens and they blame the end of that game on some combination of andy donovan and terrell there for not well, being able to, blames Terrell still and Terrell But that's what I'm Don saying. McNabb. So fans have a very strong visceral opinion about what happened there and right. it just colors everything else. All right. So while we're talking about Don McNabb, he actually spoke to the Chiefs. And and you and I had quite the discussion off air about regurgitation. <laughs> and the, the question jokes, is the jokes write themselves. <laughs> I mean, if you if you really want to go there, they... do you really want to have a guy who literally choked <laughs> as the guy who comes in That's and not speaks right. to your he team? He would tell you that he did not. He did not throw up in the Super Didn't Bowl. Didn't his no. offensive lineman say that he did? He says he did not. Okay. I'm just telling you, passing along the information that, that um I believe we've talked to at least one, if not more, offensive linemen on this show who have said Kansas that City, he did. uh the over under is fifty four and a half. It opened yeah. at fifty two and a half. Kansas City's generally about a point, point and a half favorite. You got a strong feeling on this game at all? I don't have a strong feeling, but I do think the Chiefs are going to win. I just think that the, I don't know how, no matter how strong you think the defense is of San Francisco, the number of weapons that they have from their running backs to their tight end in, in Travis Kelsey to the number of just speed demons that they have on that team as So you don't think receiver. San Francisco is going to be able to keep up? No. Because I worry that... San Francisco is going to be able to control the game and keep Mahomes off the and, field. And, and I do have like a, a desire to see Richard Sherman get beat. <laughs> like just a guy I, just fly by. Apparently, him. Darrell Rivas has <laughs> a desire for that as well. Uh, I I think that Kansas City will win. However, I told you before the game, I keep going back to the year that the Redskins played the Broncos mm -hmm. in the Super Bowl. And you had that John Elway team with all those weapons and he could scramble and he could throw across his body and he could do everything. And you had the, the great veteran coach at that point. And then here comes Washington with this strong defense and running game. Mm -hmm. And, and so if I'm Kansas city, I'm trying to take away San Francisco's running game so that they can't control the clock and make Jimmy Garoppolo. And, beat and, me. and how do you propose to do that? Well, you got to stack the line. The question is, can oh, see, I don't think that's the I don't think that's the I think that's part of the answer. I think the real answer is for them to just come out chucking. I think the Chiefs, if the Chiefs get up by four, so you think the way to keep the ball away is offensively putting them. Yeah, I think that Pat Mahomes just has to run wild. But the, now the they problem, haven't so far the in the problem. playoffs. The first quarter is they seem to get behind early and then they just come on strong. I don't think that they can afford to do that with this 49ers team because the 49ers, you said the 49ers run game is so strong that they could start running the clock out in the second quarter. And Shanahan, in which case, by the way, it will be the most under, boring Super Bowl under, that you've ever seen. That, that would be an under. And you're yeah. seeing a lot of action on the under for just that reason, yep. that it becomes a ball control game as opposed to the shootout that people would think for or hope for. Yeah, Can you imagine, though, if, if the 49ers got up by 10 or 14 points, you're going to have, I mean, how many times did, did uh, Garoppolo throw the ball last week? Eight? 
Oh, he's not going to throw the ball right. at all. And then you're going to have Mahomes chucking the ball 60 times. Uh-huh. Uh, and that for Kansas City is a recipe for disaster because they need some type of balance in their offense. Now, Spagnola and his ability to put pressure without blitzing. Now, the conventional wisdom is you don't necessarily want to blitz, but can will they be able to get the pressure from Clark off the edge from some of those guys on the interior there to put pressure and stuff that run and make Garoppolo drop back and throw the ball. It better. It's it's not that he's had a bad season. Frank Clark's got a big mouth. He better back it up. He or he's has, never going to hear he the end of it. He has talked a lot about it. Uh, do you think that Kansas City, their defense can stick with the Niners in terms of they're sort of Swiss Army Knife players. They move them all around. They create separation. Can the Kansas City defense play with them, do you think? Or, well, or well here, here's what I know. The Kansas City defense shut down Derrick Henry, and he was unstoppable before that, right? So is that— So that's the blueprint for this. So that's the blueprint for yeah. them, for you. Uh, and, and I think that, that Tennessee had a better offense, better well-rounded offense than San Francisco has, although George Kittle is— turning out to be one of Dominant. the best offensive players in the league that's not a quarterback. Dominant. Yeah. Are you a Super Bowl party guy? You go out, eh. have a good time? Uh, I've gone to them, but you know, it, dep- it depends. I mean, you and I talked about this a couple years ago when the Eagles were on it. Is When your team is in it, yeah, you, my mother-in-law saw just a totally different players. side of me watching yeah, that Yeah, I remember game. that. But. <laughs> she thought that uh, her daughter married a lunatic by the time that game was well, over. That, now, she may no, not she be wrong right. by that, I but mean, she finally <laughs> saw the truth there. Um, are you... You don't. You're not really a gambler. So, will you do a box pool or anything? Nope, do you I get into not. that stuff? So that's the funny thing. I mentioned to you before the show. It's it, 20 years ago. I, I quit my actual betting and uh-huh. I quit on a Thursday before the Super Bowl. And I went back to the fraternity house and all of my wonderful supportive fraternity brothers said, "I bet you won't bet on the national anthem." Or why don't you just pick a box in the box pool? Yeah, they were all so supportive of it. Thankfully, I didn't. Mm-hmm. But it's it just people really get into if the you, game. If and you get had into to bet on one thing, what would it be? Would it be the national anthem? Would it be a commercial? Would it be anything on the game? I don't know. Um, I, even that, you get, you're on the fence. Yeah, about. I'm on the fence. I got nothing good. Dan's got something he bet on. Whether or not the opening kickoff will be run back for a touchdown. There you go. That's a bet right there. That would be a big bet. I do not think it will be run Holy back for a touchdown. Damn. All right, so you got Kansas City. I got Kansas City. Final word. Okay, I'll take Kansas City, too. Thanks so much for joining us week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>